0: Blog
1: Talk Radio Good morning everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Amy Newmark the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Amy and I will be having a conversation about this latest release, Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Forgiveness Fix, 101 stories about putting the past in the past and moving forward. Good morning, Amy. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning?
2: I'm fine, and I'm very excited. This is my very first interview about our Forgiveness Fix book, because it just went on sale today.
1: Fantastic. Congratulations, and thank you for allowing from my mama's kitchen to roll this book out for you as well. It is a pleasure to have you on the air with me this morning. The book, Forgiveness Fix, is the perfect lead to the upcoming holiday season. Respectfully, we all need to get rid of a little mental clutter before the season of Thanksgiving. So thank you, and congratulations for its release today.
2: Oh, yeah, and you're so right about the holidays. I was talking to somebody over the weekend, and she was saying that she had uh, met up with a family member who she was having mm-hmm. a lot of problems with, and they just had a, you know like a quick 15 minute conversation, and she said, "And now I know if I see her at a holiday party, I will be okay." And I mm-hmm. thought, exactly, exactly. That's why we're putting out Chicken Soup for the Soul of Forgiveness Fix, you know, ample time before Thanksgiving so that you can right. get the book read before you go to those family gatherings or work gatherings or parties held by friends where maybe some friend is there who you're not in great shape with right now. You know, like yeah. these things happen yeah. and you need to get over it so that you can get through the holidays without – the awkwardness and feeling uncomfortable and you can feel free to hang out with everybody and go back Mm -hmm. to loving the people who you're having the issues with right now.
1: Fantastic. Uh, You guys have always been able to choose the right topics to talk about as well as releasing it in a timely manner. So why did Chicken Soup decide to publish the the forgiveness fix?
2: Well, It's actually the second book we've done on forgiveness. We did one years ago, Mm -hmm. and I just think it's such an important topic. I decided to do another one because I've been doing this job now for about 12 years, Mm
0: -hmm. being the
2: editor-in-chief of Chicken Soup for the Soul, and so I've been exposed to tens of thousands of really personal, revealing stories, from people who are just laying it all out, and they're talking about the most important things in their lives. And Mm -hmm. I'm a very analytical person, and I've really come to the conclusion after reading tens of thousands of these personal stories and meeting all these people through their words and often even in person, I've come to the conclusion that there are two keys to happiness. And if you do not have these two things mastered, you cannot be truly happy, one of them is gratitude, the ability to Mm -hmm. count your blessings, and the other is forgiveness, because if you cannot learn how to forgive, and that doesn't mean you're saying somebody did the right thing, right? you're accepting they did something wrong, but if you can't forgive, you carry around so much weight, oh my gosh, it's like, imagine you were wearing like a cloak, and then you... You know, you sewed onto it, like, every resentment and disappointment and bad thing that ever happened to you. And now all of these things are just weighing down the cloak, and you're trying to walk through life. You're carrying all this weight on your (laughs) shoulders. And if you can just say, okay, it's behind me. Yes, it did happen. I'm not saying forgive and forget. You don't have to forget. It did happen. But it Mm -hmm. happened in the past, and that's where it needs to go. It needs to go in your past and so imagine that heavy cloak, and you're just shrugging it off, and you're leaving it behind you where it belongs. And then you're free, and you walk forward feeling lighter. I mean, getting mm-hmm. rid of the, the emotional weight makes you feel physically lighter. It's really extraordinary.
1: It's true, very, very true. Well, what I like about the book, too, it really sort of brought up a lot of things for me in the sense that, okay, Johnny, you're very quick to forgive and i'm glad you brought up the essence of forget <laughs>
2: yeah and that's a
1: tough thing to do
2: <laughs> i you know what i think it's true it's it's better to like meet your past and deal with it if you forget mm-hmm. if you just put it in a box and ignore it it's still inside you it's still affecting you emotionally even if you don't realize it so um there was there was a story in the book where um This woman went to grief therapy for the fact that her mother had recently died, uh, but she she had a lot of unresolved issues with her mother, and it's always Mm -hmm. harder to say goodbye to somebody if you haven't worked through all of those issues before they die. So when she went to this grief therapy class, they first had them work on some other problem because they wanted them to practice their skills on something that hadn't just happened where they were super emotional, um, but they had to work through an old issue and put that to rest before they could work on their new one. And, you know, I noticed, you know how sometimes people react really strongly to something and you're thinking, why are they reacting so strongly to that? Well, it's because something like that happened to them in the past and they just carry that with them, and now when it happens again, it's like doubled for them. You know, so mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think if people read Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Forgiveness Fix, and it brings up past issues, and they sit down and they think about those past issues and reexamine them and now actually properly deal with them, then fabulous. I think that would be mm-hmm. a great outcome from reading the book.
1: I agree. And the only thing I would add to it is that regardless of how quickly our how, I guess, you know, how much time you take to forgive someone, that's fine. And the other thing also is that in terms of forgetting, uh, that's a touchy topic in the sense that, you know, you don't have to rush to it because you have your own sort of timing to allow that to just sort of uh, disappear and and be gone, so to speak.
2: Yeah, you can't. You can't go by timing that somebody else gets you. Let's say you have to deal with an issue. And you're Mm -hmm. saying, okay, I am going to get over it. I accept that, and I am going to forgive, and I'm going to move forward, and I will be light and free. But I would like to wallow in this for another 30 (laughs) days first. Yeah, that's fine. Sometimes you just want to really feel it for a while and complain about it for a little more time, and then you'll put it behind you. But you just need to extract all the complaining out of it. And so – you can do that. You just can't carry it around forever because That's mm-hmm. it just doesn't work. Like I know one of the stories that you really loved in the book mm-hmm. um was by Lynn Sunday. And so mm-hmm. I'm just gonna skip right to that story. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. So perfect. Yeah. And mm-hmm. in that in that story, Lynn Sunday was always talking about her ex husband. And she had been divorced for a while and yet she kept talking about him over and over again and finally her best friend said to her, it's like you're still married to the man. You mm-hmm. take him with you everywhere you go, right? <laughs> you take him wherever you go. Like, that is not healthy. And and that just, Lynn had an epiphany, and she realized she was taking her ex-husband everywhere, so she was letting her anger against him poison right. him every single day, every hour of her life for her. And she had made mm-hmm. this own little prison out of that anger, and so she decided to just forgive him. He was the father of her children, and she decided, I've been angry with him long enough. Being angry with him isn't going to change what happened. It happened. Right. It's behind me. I'm not taking that anger. Yes, I was justified to be angry when that happened, but I don't want to keep that anger with me all the time. Because what happens is if you carry around that anger, you just kind of create anger in every day, and right, you actually right, become right. a more unpleasant person, and people don't want to talk to you because they view you as negative and toxic, and it really affects all your relationships, because anger really just you know, begets more anger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I really thought that her friend saying to her, you take him <laughs> wherever you go, I thought what a great thing to remember. Whenever you're angry right. with somebody... Don't take that person with you wherever you go.
1: Right. So true. And what I got from the story as well is that that situation, that encounter or experience in this case, um, I'm sort of applying a general statement here. What happens is that you allow it to change you, and that's not good because the idea is that that's you right. want to be the authentic you.
2: Yeah, and you you let yourself become this angry, bitter person. Mm-hmm. And you're not hurting the person you're mad at. You're only hurting yourself. And, and people say, yeah, but the person did something really bad to me, so how am I going to forgive? <laughs> forgive doesn't mean you are excusing their behavior. Right. It just means you're deciding it's not going to be invading your brain anymore. You're going to let it go and move forward without carrying that anger and bitterness with you. It's fine to right. say, I used to be angry and bitter. That person did me wrong. You just can't keep carrying it with you because right. it's a lot of weight.
1: Right. So true. Coming back to the book, I love the book cover. Is there a story behind a catchy book cover?
2: So, okay, if you want a little inside <laughs> you know, look at designing book covers, I mean, it is – some book covers come easy and some book covers come really hard. So first – I always had the title The Forgiveness Fix, so the title was always set. But then my first book cover had a key on it. Like mm-hmm. the key, you know, the key to happiness, forgiveness, and and we uh, showed that to the sales force at Simon & Schuster and then they showed it to one of our big retailers and the buyer at the big retailer said that is an awful cover. And then <laughs> I looked at it and I said Oh, my gosh, that is just about the worst cover I ever showed anybody. I don't know what I was thinking. (laughs) So so then we went looking for a way better cover image. So we found this image, and it's these two little boys, and they're so cute. And one looks a little older than the other, and they have their arms around each other, and you see them from behind, and they're walking down this road, and it's like you know the road to their Mm -hmm. future. And they just look like... They might have just had a little spat, and then they made up. Mm-hmm. And you don't know if they're brothers or cousins or friends, but it's so sweet. So then we created that cover, and we showed it to that retailer again. And she said, but it looks like summer, and you're putting the book on sale in November. Can't mm-hmm. you make snow or something? Well, we can't because it's a stock photo, and the kids are wearing like, shorts and T-shirts, and they don't even right. have socks on. And so the original cover, I mean, you have it in front of you, but the original one, yeah. it the little boy who, the, the taller little boy was holding a flower in his hand, and mm-hmm. then the trees were all bright green and the grass was green, and it was like a nice summer day.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So then I said to mm-hmm. our wonderful graphic designer, can you somehow make this look more like fall? So then it right. made the grass right. more dried out. We took... We actually created fall, beautiful fall foliage, you know, mm-hmm. it looks like Vermont mm-hmm. or something. And then we took the flower in the little boy's hand and we turned it into um, an orange leaf. And then right. we put a little pumpkin in the boy's hand. So there's one hand that's hanging down <laughs> on the right side of the, of, right. of the image of the right. little boy's. We had a little pumpkin there, and we were so proud of ourselves. So then we gave it <laughs> back to the buyer again, and then she said, the pumpkin looks like it's Photoshopped in. And we said, well, yes, it was photoshopped. <laughs> so then we took the pumpkin out, and then finally it was accepted. And But people have been going crazy. I mean, it was worth all that trouble. It's, it's just beautiful, this cover. And I think it really conveys that emotion of making up with somebody after you've had a little something. It's just that's right, what those it's little, little boys look like to me.
1: Right. And I'm glad you went with the... Kids, you know, the the younger generation, in a sense, you know, I'm literally, you know, uh, what happens is that we, I remember as a ch- kid, we forgive them, kind of forget very quickly. The older we get, that's where we start to have a laundry list.
2: <laughs> you know, you're right. You're right. And I think little <laughs> boys in particular are good. They like hit each other and then, like, okay. Want to go play? You know. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so they're very good examples.
1: <laughs> what are the chapters covered in the book?
2: So um we, there was a lot to talk about. So the first mm-hmm. chapter was called "Putting the Past Where It Belongs" because that is a big thing I talk about. Like it is in mm-hmm. the past, past, past. Leave it in the past. Second <laughs> chapter is called "Understanding Someone's Actions" because I find that's such an important component of forgiveness. Like. If you analyze why the person did that or said that or acted that way, you can develop an understanding and realize also, hey, that person didn't do that to me. That Mm -hmm. person was just having a bad day, or that person does that to everybody. And boy, I wish, I'm so glad I'm not that person. But I think that understanding someone's actions can cause you to immediately stop being bitter and angry because it wasn't about you it's really about that person's own problems and then the third chapter is called when parents disappoint and we have so many stories about people being disappointed with their mothers or their fathers and you know it's like you if you expect anybody in life to be great it's your mother and your father right you expect Mm -hmm. them to be the nicest to you and the most forgiving of you and the most supportive of you and and all of that. And then when parents are actual real people and they're not perfect, it causes issues. So we have a lot of stories in this book, not only in this chapter, but spread throughout about people dealing with these unresolved feelings towards parents. Sometimes the parents are still alive. Sometimes the parents have already passed away. But you can still use the power of forgiveness to deal with those issues. And then Mm -hmm. Chapter 4 is about apologizing. Um, It's about being the recipient of an apology, but it's also about being the one who's doing the apologizing. And this could really help people who either need to know how to graciously accept an apology or need to get up their courage to do that thing they've been thinking about doing for a week, a year, a decade, and that is going and apologizing to that other person. Chapter 5 has some great ideas for keeping a marriage healthy. I really loved those stories. And Chapter 6 helps you. It's called How to Find Forgiveness. So it's how, how do you do it? People might be reading the book and say, okay, I want to forgive that person, but I need help in how to do it. So this chapter really gives you some specific ideas for how you can Use that power of forgiveness yourself to solve one of your problems. Chapter 7 is about forgiving yourself because that's a big deal. Sometimes if you cannot forgive your own inadequacies, mm-hmm. you can't forgive other people's inadequacies. You really have to start with yourself. And then Chapter 8 is called Getting All the Facts because how many times have you you've been angry at somebody and you didn't know all the facts? And then hopefully you didn't say anything, and you're so glad you didn't say anything. <laughs> but if you did say something, you, you feel terrible. So it's a reminder through a bunch of stories to get all the facts first. Chapter nine is very cool. It's called ex spouses,
0: mm-hmm. ex
2: enemies. So they're not en- they're ex spouses, but they are no longer enemies. And so there's some really good practical tips in this chapter for how to deal with ex spouses. Or your own spouse's ex, because that's another thing. You married mm-hmm. somebody; it was his or her second marriage, but there's an ex-spouse that you need to have a relationship with also. Chapter ten is called resetting expectations, and this is just about epiphanies and people realizing
0: mm-hmm.
2: that they really need to, you know, go for that clean slate and approach things differently. And then chapter eleven is called when you're the victim, and it talks about people who have really been the victims of something pretty bad and how they deal with it and how they use the power of forgiveness to move forward from that. Mm -hmm. So it's a very meaty book. There is a lot going on in this book. (laughs) Um, I would think it's not going to be a quick read because you're going to read a few stories and you're going to stop and think. You know, you have to right. digest as you move through this because this is such a powerful collection of stories.
1: Right. What I like about it also as you read, it gives you a different perspective because you need that.
2: Yeah, you need that perspective because sometimes you're reading about someone else. It's like, you know, when you're watching a movie and you're saying to, that, mm-hmm. to the person on the screen, like, you idiot." No one talked to him. And then you realize, oh wait, why didn't I do that in my own life? And this is the same thing. You're reading these stories, and and you realize, oh, I could do that, or I should do that.
1: Right, right, right. That's beautiful. How has forgiveness worked in your life?
2: So I use it all the time, and Mm -hmm. it works really well for me to not get hung up on things that have gone wrong, people who have mm-hmm. done things to me. I just somehow move past it, and it's its really important. And I think I've learned a lot of it from reading all these Chicken Soup for the Soul stories, but I think it's also something that comes to me naturally, and some of us are blessed with that natural ability mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. before I get mad, I try to understand why that person acted that way. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I just decide, oh, that person's crazy.
0: <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I'm
2: just avoiding that person from now on. But that person's crazy so I'm not gonna be angry because right. that person can't help how she acts. So I'm not gonna mm-hmm. let it bother me a bit. I just like put a little wall up between me and that person and um and I'm good to go. Um mm-hmm. but I think also I think having cancer in the past year has helped me also have a lot of clarity. It's so interesting that over all these years that I worked on all these Chicken Soup for the Soul books, I always talked about our writers who had been through cancer and how they seemed to have a special clarity in their thinking process. And I think it's because when you're faced with cancer and the horrible treatment that you have to go through and the possibility of not making it, you start to really trim the fat from your life in terms of emotions and you get really efficient and you get rid of a lot of excess baggage, whether it's emotional or actual stuff. And so I think that going through cancer treatment focused me in even more on not carrying any resentments around with me at all. And so this book was very meaningful to me as I, as I was putting it mm-hmm. together and um, I feel like every time I make one of these books, it reinforces in me as well the necessity of using forgiveness, using the power of gratitude, whatever the trait mm-hmm. is. It reinforces mm-hmm. for me how important it is to do these things. And everybody always says to me, you're so upbeat, you're so happy. And I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting to find out if my cancer is coming back, but I'm very upbeat to the rest of the world. And then I realize, you know, I am truly happy. I am able Mm -hmm. to use all of these Mm -hmm. skills I've developed from Chicken Soup for the Soul books and just make it through all of this stuff.
1: That's fantastic. It's a beautiful story. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio, our podcasts available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, Mixcloud, and Google Play. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest for this morning is... Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. We're having a wonderful conversation about their latest release, Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Forgiveness Fix. 101 stories about putting the past in the past and moving forward. Amy, let's talk about some of the stories in the book. I love it, and I'm going to keep my mouth shut, and i tell you what, it's just truly amazing. So let's start with Chapter 1, Putting the Past Where It Belongs. And the first story that really kicks off this entire book is There for Each Other by Lauren Maglano, Maglano, I think.
2: Yeah, so Lauren, Mm -hmm. she grew up in this family where everybody knew that Lauren's father and Lauren's uncle didn't talk to each other. They'd been estranged for years. And she didn't know why, but she just knew that even at family functions, they would never speak to each other. And everyone accepted it. But then Lauren's father was hospitalized with a brain aneurysm that almost killed him, and Lauren's uh, um, uncle showed up. Lauren walked into the hospital one day, and there was her uncle by her father's bedside. And she, she doesn't think her father and her uncle even talked about what had happened. They just picked right back up again, and they became the best of friends, and they had each other after that for the next 20 years. And they helped each other's families. And it was such a good example of how even a huge rift, you know, like many, many mm-hmm. years of not talking to each other could be overcome just because these two men decided that they would. Mm-hmm. They put the past in the past, whatever their problem had been. And they peeled all of that off. And what was under it was the fact that they really loved each other as brothers. And that. How they went, how they rolled for the next twenty years. They even uh, worked in the same business together.
1: It's fantastic. The story basically reminds me: focus on the good things; the rest will take care of itself.
2: Yeah, I think that you're absolutely right, and that's kind of peeling things away and just going to mm-hmm. the essence of things. Absolutely.
1: Same chapter. Putting the past where it belongs. The next story is Once More with Feeling by William Demerson. Demeron.
2: Yeah, so yeah, William Dameron, this is really interesting because he wrote this book that's called The Lie, and it came out as an Amazon Kindle book a few months ago. Um, one of the free books that they give you each month if you have a Prime mm-hmm. account. So I downloaded this ebook and I read it immediately and I loved it and I reached out to him and I said I would love to get a story from you for our forgiveness book and he actually gave us two stories and then he also came on my podcast and the interview with him actually ran last Friday November 1st if if anybody wants to listen to it it's on the chicken soup for the soul podcast so he's a really interesting guy because he grew up in the South, and um, he grew up in, you know, the 60s and 70s, and I think in early, ni- I think in, in 1983, he told his mom that he thought he might be gay, and his mom said, no, you're not gay, because that was when AIDS was taking off, and basically mm-hmm. she didn't want her son to be gay, and it was the South, and they were in a religious household, and it was 1983, it was a long time ago, um, and so she kind of pushed him back into the closet, and he didn't want to be gay. So he he married a lovely woman, and they were married for 20 years, and they had two beautiful daughters. And he was always true to his wife and always fought off you know, this mm-hmm. this feeling that he was gay and shouldn't be married to her. And then one day they were pulling into a parking lot, and she stopped the car, and she said to him, I have to ask you this now because I'm never going to have the courage to ask you again. Are you gay? And he said, "Yes, I am." You know, it was, <laughs> and and then they get, and so then they decided, okay, I guess we're getting a divorce. And I mean, they really liked each other and loved each other as people. So then he had to come out to his daughters and had to go back to his mom and say, "Mom, I really am gay." and He talks in his book about how he went through that whole process, and he ended up friendly with everybody, and when he finally got married to a man, his mom danced with his husband at the wedding. But the interesting thing also was that at the same time that all of this was going on, William Dameron, who's a good-looking guy, his picture was basically stolen on the Internet by all these people on these dating sites who – Mm -hmm. put his picture up as their profile picture, and then Mm -hmm. we're having online romantic relationships with women. And then he started getting emails from women saying, I just used this reverse Google image search thing, and I found you, and I realized you don't even know that your picture has been used. I've been in a four-year online relationship with somebody who wasn't you but was using your picture. Well, that's called catfishing.
1: And then he realized,
2: oh, my, I was catfishing my wife all these years, pre- pretending to be somebody I wasn't. So it was a very interesting book, and I was very pleased mm-hmm. to have two stories from him in the Forgiveness Fix book.
1: I can't add any more than that. It's just a beautiful story. That's why I wanted you to <laughs> share that beautiful, beautiful story. Chapter 2, Understand Someone's Action. And this is pretty interesting. No Fault by Christy heidegger Owen.
2: Yeah, so this is a good example of why you should get all the facts before you get angry. <laughs> so, Christy Hiker Ewing um her mom committed suicide. That was devastating because her mom had tried 6 weeks earlier and they had found out and you know and she had taken a bunch of pills and they had saved her and then the mo- her mom did it again and this time she was successful. And so Christy felt like, how could her mom abandon her this way? How could her mom not care enough about the family to stay? And she killed herself. And then Christy saw a new segment on suicide, and it made her reevaluate her mom. And she said she had been focused so much on her own grief that she hadn't stopped to think about what her mother must have been feeling, to feel that her family would be better off without her. And so she went to a support group for people who had lost their loved ones to suicide, and she began to understand the agonizing emotional pain that her mother was in because she was mentally ill. And when she realized that her mother was mentally ill and her mother wasn't trying to be selfish and leave the family behind but truly was in agonizing pain and didn't think that anybody needed her in their lives anymore, Then she felt awful that she couldn't save her mother, but she stopped being angry with her mother. And instead, she was able to focus on the 46 wonderful years that she did have with her mother before her mental illness took her away.
1: It's a wonderful story of understanding. In reading that story, it reminded me of my dad when I first came to the United States when I was 18 years old. My dad was sick when I left. And he had been sick for about three years prior to that, and he finally uh, my dad died the uh, after I'd been here for a year, and what happened is, I know enough to know that I just sensed he lost his will to live because he was draining the family funds in Malaysia, we don't have health insurance, and so it was costing a lot oh, right. of money, right? So he's looking at wait a minute now this is not about me anymore. It's about taking care of my wife. Of course, at the time, what women don't necessarily work during my age, uh, during my mom's time, you know, they just take care of the family, right? Mm-hmm. And then my sister was young uh, and and That's- so forth. So when you look at all that, because I feel like whenever you talk about situations like this, is someone loses their will to live. And that changes the dynamics.
2: That happened with my mother, too. She just wanted mm-hmm. to go. She was 85. Yeah. And when she went into the hospital, she kept saying, just let me go. Just let me go. And I said, Mom, don't you want to stay for yeah. you know, my daughter's wedding? Yeah. Don't you want to stay for Dad? Oh, he'll be okay, she said. <laughs> 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 He's not really okay. <laughs>
0: yeah. He's in a dementia yeah.
2: unit. But, I mean, she. I think she didn't really want to deal with that. It was pretty miserable. Right. But, yeah, you. But I think I am not mad at her at all. I accept that she just didn't want to hang around anymore. Sad right. and miserable.
1: Right. It's an amazing story because when I look back, like I say, my dad and I had a conversation one day when he was basically, you know, he was okay, right? I mean, one would think this is before I came to the United States, just a few months. And I, I asked him, how are you feeling? And he says, let me put it this way. Just imagine that you have a fever but it's not that 100-degree you know, degree fever where you have to lay down in bed all day, right? It's enough yeah. to aggravate the heck out of you <laughs> every day.
2: Uh-huh. And it's like
1: you're yeah. trying to comprehend that.
2: People just get tired.
1: Yeah, yeah, so true. Chapter 3, When Parents Disappoint, The Right Number by Maya Morin.
2: Okay, so Maria um she had an experience with family forgiveness, but and it but it was a bit of a miracle that it even happened because it wasn't her mm-hmm. family. Um in her case, she called her father one day, but then when he answered the phone, his voice seemed different. And she said, "Papa?" and he said, "Eloisa," and that's when Maria realized, "Oh, Even though she'd called her father a million times before, she'd gotten the wrong number this time. And so she apologized, and then the man kind of snarled at her. And she said, are you okay, sir? And then he poured out this sad story. He said he should have known it wasn't his daughter, even though Mario sounded like his daughter, because he had been a terrible father, and he had banned her from seeing a boy who she liked. And so his daughter had moved out at age 18, and he had said, she's dead to me. And now he hadn't seen his daughter in nine years, and his wife had just died, and he found his daughter's phone number in his wife's things and realized that his wife had secretly been in touch with his daughter all along. So Maria said to this man, call your daughter. You have the phone number. Just call her. And he said, but what if she refuses to talk to me? And Maria said, well, you won't be any worse off, right? Then you just won't talk to her. But you don't know if you don't try So then she asked the man for his phone number, because obviously Mario didn't know his phone number because she had called it by accident. (laughs) he gave (laughs) her his phone number. She said, do you mind if I check with you in a few days? So she called him back, you know, a few days later, Mm -hmm. and he was so happy. He had talked to his daughter for two hours, and she had married that boy he didn't like, but it had worked out just fine, and she was willing to, you know, take her father back into her arms, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and
2: so was going off to meet her, and and everything had been restored in their relationship. So it was really sweet.
1: It's a beautiful story, and it's almost like a human angel coming in at the right time, don't you think?
0: (laughs) I
2: do. I do. It really was a bit of a miracle, Um, and it was such a good example of the fact that you tell yourself, oh, that person doesn't want to talk to me, but here this guy bravely reached out, and it turned out his daughter did want to talk to him and welcomed him, so that was really sweet.
1: Same chapter when parents disappoint, and this is a big chapter because all all of us seem to have an issue <laughs> with our parents you know, for one reason or another, you know. So it's just kind of crazy. And the title of the story is "Writing to My Dead Father" by Noel Stern.
2: Yeah. So. Um, Noelle's father died when she was in college, and she just kind of locked away her feelings about him. He had been really distant and unhappy, but he had played. He, he had studied violin at Juilliard. So he was a great violin player, um, but he hadn't been able to work in that field, or at least work in that field and make enough money to support his family. So instead, he settled for a really boring administrative job that noel said used you know only a fraction of his Mm -hmm. intelligence and he hated the people he worked with so he was just angry all the time and so years after his death she took this workshop called dealing with our past and the leader of the workshop said they should choose an unresolved issue and write about it and so she wrote a letter to her father and as she was writing the letter, she realized what a good father he had actually been and how difficult it was for him to work in that really boring horrible job when he wanted to be a concert violinist. And she said after she wrote that, she realized she forgave him for the distant and you know stern way he had dealt with her and she said I felt lighter than ever before which is what I keep saying. It's this weight we carry, and you get rid of it, and you really feel like you could float up to the ceiling. You feel so much lighter.
1: Right. That's so true. So very true. Chapter four, apologizing and moving forward. More than a Facebook friendship. And this is really cool because in today's age, we have tons of Facebook friends that we actually never met.
2: Yeah, so in this case, Allison Allison Lee did something when she was only 14. So she was having a birthday party, and she had a a few of her little 13- and 14-year-old friends over, and there was this one girl who was supposed to have come home from school with her, you know, to be part of her birthday party, but the girl hadn't been at school that day. And so somehow... Allison allowed her little female friends to rile her up. I mean, these are like these early teenagers, and they can just be drama queens about everything. <laughs> and so instead of just thinking, oh, maybe my friend was sick and I should find out if she's okay, she got mad at her because she hadn't even called to say that she wasn't coming to her party. So she called her friend and got mad at her instead of saying, oh, I'm so sorry that you're sick, and then just ignored her for the rest of middle school and high school. And 20 years later, Allison got a friend suggestion on Facebook because of course she and this woman had friends in common, you know, from their school days.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: she reached out to Nora, this girl with a friend request. And then she finally wrote an apology to Nora. Um, she direct messaged it to her, a private Facebook message. And Nora wrote back and said she forgave Allison, and Allison was finally free because she had apologized for this stupid thing she had done
0: when <laughs> she was
2: 14 years old, you know, and it had been bothering her for 20-plus years that she had mm-hmm. done this thing. But by apologizing, she she was done with it. And so that's why, you know, part of this book is about the value of apologizing and hoping to motivate some of our readers into using that power of apologizing to free themselves as well.
1: Right. And one thing we all need to remember is never too late.
2: Yeah, that is absolutely true. It is never Chep. too late to do, to do that.
1: Yeah, I'm, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I just wanted no, okay. uh, to bring up that point. Yeah, it's never too late. Never too late. Chapter five, what's your favorite story in this? Because this is interesting, keeping a marriage healthy.
2: Yeah, so I love this story um, (laughs) about a New Year's Eve party from Nancy Beach. And this is just a great reminder to think things through, get your facts straight before you get angry. So Nancy Beach and her husband were throwing a New Year's Eve party for friends, and Nancy had spent days preparing for this party and cleaning the house. And she had two toddlers, so she really had to clean the house. And it's really hard to do anything when you have two toddlers. And so her husband was going to help out with the party, but he just had to go to work. But he was going to be home by 5. But then at 5 he texted that he had to stay at work longer. And then he kept texting and saying, I'm sorry, I have to stay longer, I have to stay longer. Well, eventually he called and said he'd be home by midnight. Meanwhile, Nancy, who had been really uncomfortable about having this party in the first place, had to manage the entire party by herself. And part of the party was playing games. And she was the only one now who wasn't in a couple because her husband was (laughs) stuck at work. And she was so mad at him. And then suddenly she had this epiphany. And she said, I realized what the night had been like for my husband. Up until then, I'd been far too worked up to see his side. And then she realized how miserable he was at work. He was the boss who had to tell all the other people at work that they couldn't go home. They had to do inventory or something, like year-end inventory. And so she forgave him, realized he was suffering just as much as she was, and she realized all her misery that night had been her own doing, and she didn't have to have such a lousy time, and it was a good lesson for her for the future to get all the facts before she got angry and think about it from the other person's point of view as well.
1: It's about, it's no longer about me, me, me. (laughs) And that's what I got out of
2: it. Putting yourself in the other person's shoes really Mm -hmm. does help a lot. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. So true. Another story in that chapter that I really like is never too late and The reason is because it's just that sort of realizing ourselves that, you know, it's never too late for what we need to do by Shannon Cripp.
2: Yeah, so in Shannon's case, her mother-in-law was dying, and this woman had always been very difficult, but now Shannon felt that as the daughter-in-law, you know, she should try to help care for her mother-in-law in her final days, and they couldn't get her into a nursing home for various reasons and then it it all boiled down to the fact that Shannon and her children had to move in with her mother-in-law to take care of her and the mother-in-law all of a sudden changed and she began calling all the people she had wronged and inviting them to come over and then she would she would sit and 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 tell them how sorry she was. And she would ask for forgiveness, and she would tell them that she loved them and ask that they never forget how much they meant to her. And somehow this woman had achieved clarity on her way out and had realized how difficult she had been. And then she apologized directly to Shannon as well and said she was so sorry for everything she had done to her and that she was actually proud to have her as her daughter-in-law. And Shannon says, at that moment, I fell in love with my mother-in-law. I no longer saw the past when I looked at her. So she was able to look at her with love and see the current woman, not the past one. So I thought that was really nice.
1: It's a beautiful story, totally beautiful story. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, MixCloud, and Google Play. My guest is Amy Newmark, the publisher and in chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. We're having a wonderful conversation about their latest release, Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Forgiveness Fix, 101 stories about putting the past in the past and moving forward. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Amy, Chapter 6 is a really wonderful chapter, How to Find Forgiveness. And the ch- story that I really like is Letting Go, Gwen by Gwen Shelton.
2: Okay, so... Um- Gwen Sheldon, she had to, wait a minute, I'm looking for that one now, um, because I was thinking we were going to talk about a different one, <laughs> the one by oh, L.Y. Levin, that was all set for that one. Um, <laughs> no, but I know Gwen, Gwen is a great example of somebody who was living under a black cloud of her own making, because she was mm-hmm. a professor at a college that had financial problems, and so they had to shut down most of the departments at the college, and Gwen was laid off even though she was a tenured professor. Well, she managed to find another job in the university system, but she really remained scarred by the whole experience. And there was this department secretary who Gwen had never liked and she just somehow let this department secretary whose name was Fran come to embody everything that had gone wrong and the fact that she'd (laughs) lost her job and the university hadn't been well run. And This woman, Fran, would try to talk to Gwen, and Gwen would always just respond to her coldly. But then she found when she would go to a meeting, if she was near Fran, she would feel really uncomfortable, and her body would tense up. She did this whole thing to herself. Gwen was the one who was experiencing this misery. She was the one who was holding on to this grudge that took so much energy from her. And she wasn't hurting Fran. She was only hurting herself. And so she finally realized that she was just not going to let Fran become relevant to her and I thought this is cool decide this person mm-hmm. is no longer relevant to my life that's a great way of dispensing with somebody who's making you miserable they're not relevant anymore
1: mhm mhm that's true and coming back full circle what we talk about i mean some of us are very good at forgiveness. We just forgive very quickly, right? But I think the letting go that's part of that forgetting—and so using words like "Is this really relevant?" and it's not—and there's something that sort of—it's like the air deflating from the tire. You're free. So yeah, you're and clear. giving
2: somebody a lot of power when you that's keep right. holding on that's to that right. resentment and you keep letting that person. Cause this emotional weight, boy, did you give that person a lot of power. (laughs) So by declaring the person is no longer relevant, you completely strip them of their power over you. Now, another method, and this is the one I thought we were about to talk about, it's the Clean Mm -hmm. Record by L.Y. Levin. Mm -hmm. Now, it's another mother-in-law story, but in her (laughs) case, L.Y. was really upset with her mother-in-law, and then she went to this Bible study class where they had them write down the things that were bothering them. And she wrote down, she typed it into her computer, took her a few days. She typed up every single thing that she thought her mother-in-law had ever done to her, everything that was wrong. And then she looked at all of those items and she read each one to herself and deleted it. And so after spending a few days creating this big list, she then went through and one item at a time She deleted them, and then she said, okay, now my mother-in-law has a clean record. And she says, nothing really changed Mm -hmm. except that I felt lighter. It's just Mm -hmm. amazing. Everybody uses the term lighter, which is why I keep talking about the emotional weight that you get from the lack of forgiveness, because everybody who becomes successful at this says, I walked away lighter.
1: So true, so true. What I like... Uh, another there's another sto- story in chapter six that I really like, and this is important because this will help people that sort of did not quite get things done with their loved ones while their loved ones are still alive. And this story is just a wonderful story, and it's called Forgiveness Beyond the Grave by Stephanie Pfeiffer Stone.
2: Yeah, this is a great one because probably at least a quarter of Mm -hmm. us have something that where we have a leftover resentment or disappointment or anger that that involves somebody who's no longer around for us to talk to and you can still deal with it and that's so important to know that it's never too late so in stephanie Piper stone's case her uncle had taken her mom to the hospital even though her mom didn't want any extraordinary measures taken and so her mom couldn't even speak as she lay in that hotel room, but her her eyes were angry as she looked at Stephanie, and she blamed Stephanie for her predicament, and Stephanie never got any closure with her. And so Stephanie went to this grief recovery class, and part of the process involved writing a letter of forgiveness to the person who you're grieving over. And so Stephanie wrote to her mother, and she wrote about how wonderful her mother had been, beautiful and talented and fun until she became unhappy and miserable after she got divorced. And she started writing about all the great things she remembered about her mother. And then she found that she could think of her mother fondly and without all of this regret. And she points out in her story that the other person doesn't even need to know that you forgive them. All that you need, to, it just happens within your own head. And right. so that's what's so great about it. I mean, you could really accomplish this in a second, you could have somebody who's been bothering you for years and you talk about it all the time and you're always thinking about how this person wronged you, you could actually stop that in one second.
0: Mm-hmm. You could just mm-hmm.
2: stop. Say, okay, that person's no longer relevant to me or I'm going to write down everything that person <laughs> ever did and then throw that in the garbage. But whatever it is, it's up to you. You're the one who's creating the, your own black cloud that you're right. walking around in, you know, You're the one who's turned off the lights and made it dark in your head. You can turn the lights back on. And so it's a really good lesson that we really do have it within our own power to take care of these problems.
1: So true. That is a wonderful layup for Chapter 7, Forgiving Yourself. And the story that I like is Pop by Paul Lyon.
2: Yeah, so Paul was one of seven sons. So imagine a father trying to raise (laughs) seven sons. And they lived in a three-bedroom, little tiny condo, even though the other kids in their town all had big houses. The father was a janitor. It was tough. It was a tough upbringing. Mm -hmm. Um, and And Paul remembers his father always being so hard on him, you know, like reprimanding him. Like he would go to help his father with the janitorial duties, and then his father would reprimand him if he missed a spot. But then when Paul was 17... He wrote and performed a show that was a big success at his high school. And his father said, I have never been so proud in my life. And then said, nothing your brother did could compare to this. And he was talking about Paul's older brother, who was the star of the family because he was a big football player in town.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
2: So instead of taking the compliment as a compliment, Paul, who was only 17, took it as some kind of negative comparison against his football hero brother, and it wasn't until 22 years later, when Paul was a teacher, that all of a sudden he thought, wow, I'm having trouble managing all these kids in my class. What was it like for my father to have seven sons? No wonder he was hard on us. You've got to manage seven sons really sternly, <laughs> you know, and firmly. And so he realized that his father had actually been trying to compliment him. So he went to see his father and he apologized for the fact that he had had this chip on his shoulder against his father all these years. And his father who was actually a lovely person, said, ah, oh, you don't need to apologize for anything. I'm fine, because his father was uh, so forgiving of his son. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
2: His father explained that compliment and said, I really meant that what you did was bigger than anything your brother did as quarterback. And I knew you had been disappointed that you didn't get to play football. So I wanted to make it clear to you, that what you did was way cooler than what your brother did. You know, It really was <laughs> yeah. a compliment. And so, yeah. and so Paul said, my world was dark because I kept turning out the light. He was the one who was causing his own misery.
1: Right, right, so true. What other stories do you like in that chapter, chapter 7?
2: Um, well, there's another one um, by Lucy Alexander. So mm-hmm. this was one of these really heavy ones. Lucy grew up in a pretty large family, and she had this older brother named Todd who wasn't always doing well, and he ran away from the family for a while and just lived elsewhere and didn't talk to the family. But then he finally came back and reconciled with the family, but Lucy felt very protective of her mother, and she basically didn't take him back. The other siblings did, but Lucy didn't, and then Todd killed himself. And Lucy decided that it was her fault because she had rejected him when he had come back. And it was only years later that she realized that Todd was responsible for his own behavior and her taking him back or not taking him back had nothing to do with it. And so she finally forgave herself for having not welcomed him back into the family Mm -hmm. and realized that it wasn't her that caused him to end his life.
1: That's true. I mean, it's, Everybody is entitled to their own actions and the decisions that they make. And that's a wonderful story. A good reminder to kind of make us understand that we can't blame ourselves for someone else's action.
2: Exactly. And she said it was only when she became a mother and saw you know, how independent her little son right. was that she realized, oh, Todd was responsible for his own actions. We other family members didn't cause him to do that.
1: Right. Right. Chapter 8, Getting All the Facts. This is cool. Now I Get It by Diane Morrow.
2: Yeah, so this is another case of a mother, brother, sister triangle. (laughs) So in Diane's case, when her mother died, Diane realized that she really resented all of the time that her mother had spent on on her brother but he had special needs and so her mother had you know had to work extra hard to take care of him and there's only so much time and so she had been neglecting the other kids but she was doing triage basically she took care of the kid who needed the most help Mm -hmm. well then after her mother died diane started taking care of her brother and he had a lot of disabilities, he got. He was diagnosed with schizophrenia, he also had some medical problems, and he had these intellectual disabilities, and sometimes he would be violent, and Diane found that she was spending a huge amount of time with him, and then she realized why her mother had neglected her all those years, because her brother was just taking up all of her time, And and Diane realized that she really should have gotten all the facts first. If she had understood more mm-hmm. what was motivating her mother, she would have handled it differently.
1: That's a wonderful story. It's, I think it's, in a way, when you look at the flip side of the equation, because she is because she's so responsible that her mother trusted her to take care of things without having true. to have a very short string, so to speak.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. That's true. She knew that she was the capable child. Mm -hmm. But sometimes the capable child does resent all the attention that's given to the Mm -hmm. child who's not as capable.
1: So true. Well, we've done chapter nine. You you mentioned the story. You told the story about the story that I really like in ex-spouses and ex-enemies. Let's go to chapter 10, Resetting Expectations. And I really, really, really like this story. It begins with you by Kim Kelly.
2: So... In Kim's case, she always was complaining to her mother. I mean, this was when she was still in school, and she was always complaining. Everybody was a jerk. Everybody was treating her unfairly. And her mother said to her, if everyone around you is being a jerk, then it is you who is behaving like the biggest jerk of all. And Kelly thought, what? But then she decided to think about what her mother had said, and she realized that she was always overreacting to everything. And and acting like everything was terrible and allowing things to affect her. And she decided that she would just try to let things roll off her back. So she said that she took control of her emotions and her reactions to things around her. And instead of feeling like a victim, she Mm -hmm. started feeling like a victor because she was controlling her emotions and she felt more empowered. And then she found that she was forgiving her own shortcomings. And then she realized, wait, if I can forgive The shortcomings that I have, I should be able to forgive the shortcomings in my classmates. And so it completely changed her life. And she, in the last paragraph of her story, she wrote something I thought was so smart. She said, tolerance of our own imperfections helps us to recognize and accept the imperfections in others. Right? Don't judge others until you judge yourself.
1: Right. And then the other flip side of the equation is let's do the math. You are the common denominator. <laughs> exactly.
2: I know. I know. I always say that to people. You know, if there's a whole bunch of siblings and, and there's three who are, get along great with each other and there's one who's always fighting with everybody else, it's kind of right. obvious who the, per- the problem is.
1: <laughs> Chapter 11. This is a beautiful story. It's the fitting story to be the 101th story. The chapter title is When You, the Victim, and the story is Unexpected Blessings by Linda Newton.
2: So in Linda's case, um, there had been this woman who had come into Linda's classroom and had gotten mad at Linda because Linda had disciplined her daughter. And this had happened years and years and years ago. But this woman was calling her after all these years to apologize for having been so angry at her way back then for disciplining her daughter, as, and which was something that Linda should have done as her teacher. Mm-hmm. And so for Linda, it didn't really make that big of a difference to hear this. But for this mother who made the apology, obviously this had been bugging her for 20 years, it was really important for her to do this, which is one of the sub-themes in our book about forgiveness, which is the value of apologizing to people and how freeing that mm-hmm. is for the person who's doing the apologizing.
1: So true. Very, very true. What's interesting about that is when I used to go home and tell my mom, my teacher disciplined me, she added on to it in the sense that you must have done something wrong, so let me give you extra discipline. <laughs> it's like so <laughs> said. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what does Chicken Soup for the Soul plan to serve this holiday season?
2: Well, we're going through a fabulous period right now of having. Mm-hmm. We have five books among the top fifteen self-help books, and wow. um, one of them has been number one for five weeks now. It's um, mm-hmm. it's called Chicken Soup for the Soul: Think Positive live happy. Then we have this wonderful forgiveness fix book for the holidays. And we also have a really pretty and fun Christmas book. It's called Chicken Soup for the Soul. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. So people can find that at Walmart and Barnes and Noble and all the other places that you like to buy books. And so we're really excited about the Christmas season because everything seems to be going so well for our new books. And then the other really cool thing that's happened is in our television business um this is kind of relevant for the holidays because this is when people have to confront their financial situations so Mm -hmm. you know you've got all these millennials out there who have taken on so much student debt and some of them are being very responsible in the way that they live and they're trying to pay this debt down and meanwhile they're scrimping and saving but the debt is just sometimes insurmountable for them and then you have other kids who have this debt and have just thrown in the towel and said, I'm never going to pay it off. Mm-hmm. So they're off buying you know, clothes every week and going out and not being so responsible. But either way, these kids need help with managing their finances. And so we made this very, very cool television show. We took um, 10 kids, 10 millennials in the L.A. area, and we had financial advisors go in. It's an Ashton Kutcher production because he's very concerned mm-hmm. about this whole issue of student debt. And we show these kids how they can manage their finances better, how they can stop any silly spending, how they can start to pay down their debt. We get them on the right financial footing. And the show is called Going From Broke. And it, it has been such a huge hit, and it's available for streaming for free on our streaming service, which is called Crackle. We, we um, are in a joint venture with sony
0: so you Mm -hmm. might know it
2: as sony crackle but it's a you know television show and movie uh channel that you can get on your smart tv or on your ipad or on your phone Mm -hmm. or on your computer Mm -hmm. where you can watch shows for free and so we have made uh this show going from broke available for free for binge watching if if desired the all 10 episodes are available for streaming now on crackle
1: Fantastic. That sounds really, really wonderful. As we close the show, what recipes for living would you like to share with our listeners this morning?
2: Well, I feel like at this time of year, let's, let's have all of our ingredients for our <laughs> recipe for living. Let's have all our ingredients come from this whole concept of forgiveness. So I would say be open to letting family back in. Make sure you understand what lay behind what you thought of as a hurtful action. Don't be afraid to talk to the other person about it. It's never too late. It could be 20 years later. You can still use the power of forgiveness to clear this up. Mm-hmm. And then finally, don't forget to use self-forgiveness. Don't forget to forgive yourself as well.
1: So true. That's beautiful. Amy, thank you for the great recipes, for living, and for spending this hour with me. I'm from My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me in two weeks, Tuesday morning, November 19. My guest will be Rose Elliott. She is Britain's foremost vegan and vegetarian cook and is the author of numerous bestsellers, which have won popular acclaim all over the world. Rose and I will be having a conversation about her remarkable Life's Journey, and her latest book, Rose Elliott's Complete Vegan, as she brings her delicious and easy vegan recipes stateside. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. As always, Amy, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again, and have a blessed, wonderful day.
2: Thank you so much, Johnny.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye.